let me tell you what I'm feeling this morning. I feel like there is an anointing, there is a unique presence of the Holy Spirit this morning to break strongholds. And it's unique to what's happening in this service. I didn't share this with the 9 o'clock service, but as we're worshiping and as I'm praying, I'm like, Lord, what are you doing? I just have this sense that God wants to break strongholds in a couple of areas. One is the areas of guilt. One is of shame. One is insecurity. And the fourth is condemnation. And we're going to look together at the passage of Scripture that I always intended to share with you this morning. But as we close this morning, we're going to posture ourselves in a way that invites the Holy Spirit to bring freedom in any of those areas where you may feel constrained, restricted, or burdened. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Let's just jump into the message. Like, this is, this is where we're going this morning. We're going to do some work together uh, because God is a good God. And God wants his people to live in freedom and to experience peace and hope and joy. So as we come to chapter 5 this morning, Paul is making a, a bit of a shift. He's pivoting, pivoting in his teaching. The, the first four chapters have all have been, been about doctrine. And now Paul is going to begin to talk about how we live out what we've learned. I played a lot of basketball growing up elementary school, all the way through high school, and every coach would do the same thing when they were kind of introducing a new play. Uh, They'd they'd whiteboard it first, um, either on one of those little things that we had to kind of get around and couldn't really see, uh, or they'd actually bring a whiteboard in, they would talk it through, and then they'd put a ball in our hands and say, go run the play. And it wasn't until we took the ball and actually started to run the play that the truth that we had learned actually became applicable. And so Paul is now saying to the Galatian church, go run the play. He's saying to us this morning, go run the play. This is how your life is going to be different because of what I have just taught you. So we're going to jump right into the first few verses of Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. Let me pray real quick. Holy Spirit, I just want to be responsive to what you're doing in this room and in this moment and for those who are with us online. Lord, there is something that you want to unlock. There is something that you want to impart. There is something that you want to deposit. And so in the minutes that remain, God, we just set our hearts and our focus on you. We lay aside our own expectation and just say, God, what is it that you want for each and every one of us this morning? Because your way is the right way. You have the words of eternal life. And so we want to hear, receive, and respond to what you are doing in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Verse 1, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Mark my words. I, Paul, tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified or made right by the law have actually been alienated from Christ and have fallen away from grace. Now, if you're with us for the first time this morning, you're like, well, that's an interesting topic. I don't often go to church to talk about circumcision. Um, I'm with you on that. Um, But what we have learned is Paul is actually using that language to speak to the legalistic following of the Old Testament law, which was marked by the sign of circumcision. So Paul says, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. So stand firm and don't let yourself be yoked again or burdened again by slavery. Paul is going to talk to the church about what it means to live a spirit-filled and spirit-fueled life of grace. And he opens this passage by saying, God set you free to be free. 
Have you ever asked yourself, have you ever wondered, what, what does it mean that he said, I've set you free to be free? It's for freedom's sake, another translation says, that I've set you. Why did Jesus set us free? And often we go, oh, he set us free because he loves us. And that's absolutely 100% true. But Jesus, in setting us free, was doing more than changing our reality, changing our condition so we could sit on the couch, watch Netflix, and eat Fritos. There was, there was, I had to ask myself, what is the purpose for this freedom that God has given me? Every community, every people group that has ever fought for freedom has tied a sense of purpose, either political or economic, to that fight for freedom. Let me take you back to American history in elementary school. No taxation without, you remember, there was a purpose to their fight for freedom. Well, if our freedom was purchased through the most significant sacrifice that the universe has ever seen, the shed blood of our own Savior, what is the pur- There has to be a bigger purpose than just sitting around saying, I'm free, and now I can do whatever it is I want. Why did Jesus set us free? Jesus came to bring freedom because freedom was the original human condition. God always intended for humanity to live as people who were free, free from the constraints of sin and free from the constraints of legalism so we can live into our God-ordained purpose. Now, let me help you see what that is. Where is the last time in human history that people actually experienced true freedom? It's in the Garden of Eden. Absolutely in the Garden of Eden. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit have just created the garden. They've, they've created the heavens and the earth and all that was in it. They've populated it with, with plants and trees and, and animals. And then they say together, let us make man in our image. And then it goes on to say, male and female, they created them and placed them in the garden as his image bearers. God created mankind, men and women, to carry his image, to bear his image into creation, to steward it, to rule over it, another translation says, to make it flourish. Our freedom was always intended for us to cause the things around us to reflect glory back to God. We were, we were meant to make things thrive wherever we were, free in, in our relationships with God, with one another, and to his creation. The story of creation is that humanity was formed and commissioned to reflect God into his creation in, in how we love and live and lead and serve. So Paul is saying to the Galatians, because he understands that, if God created you to rule alongside him, if God created you to govern, to steward his creation, if this is the purpose for which you were originally created, why, for the love of all that's holy, would you set that aside and choose to live in slavery to a bunch of rules? Perhaps it's because they didn't understand fully the purpose for which they were created. This is the story of creation. But Scripture teaches us that this is also the story, the purpose of what the Bible calls new creation. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 17. If anyone is in Christ, anyone, 
No exceptions. If any person is born again, has surrendered their lives to follow Jesus, the new creation has come. God is doing again what he did in the garden. He is releasing image bearers into his creation in order to affect human flourishing. He says the old has gone and now the new has come. The, the old corrupted way of living and relating has been, been done away with and we've been made new. The, the chains of slavery, the chains of sin in the Galatians church, the chains of legalism that bound us kept us from being able to walk out our God-ordained destiny. And now that Jesus has paid the penalty for our sin, he has demonstrated his power over death through his resurrection. He is what is called the firstborn from the dead. He has begun a work of new creation and then handed it off to us. The game has changed. If your idea of being a Christian is to show up one day a week, pay a 10% tax, be nice to people you don't really like, and then wait for Jesus to come back because then you get to go to heaven, you are actually missing out on the very purpose for which you were created. We are not waiting for Jesus to rescue us. We are engaged in works of redemption and restoration of new creation until the moment he comes back and makes everything new. There is a call on your life. There is a destiny unfolding before you. There is a purpose for your existence that is so far beyond the day-to-day mundane. When, when I was born again, when I surrendered my life to Jesus, when I said, I'm in, I wasn't signing up to go to church, though I did. I wasn't signing up to learn, though I did, and I'm grateful. I was signing up to partner with God in his mission of redemption and restoration. I was signing up to live a life of purpose, to live a life of value because the Spirit of God had at that point come to indwell me. The Spirit walked with me like he walked with Adam, and God said, John, wherever you go, you redeem, you restore, you make new as I work in and as I work through you. The reason Paul is so fired up, guys, is not because they were missing out on something small. They were missing out on their reason for being. They were missing out for, on the purpose for which they had been created. We are set free to join Jesus on his mission of restoration and reconciliation. This is, the, this is what it means when it says it's for freedom. You've been set free. We've been set free to live into our original design. We were not ever intended to be a people of slavery. We were meant to be a people of freedom. And the reason we were meant to be free is so that we could bear his image and carry him into culture. This is why we have been set free. Ephesians 2, verse 8. It is by grace that you have been saved through faith. This is not from you, he says. This is the gift from God. Not by work so that no one can boast. And then this, verse 10. We are God's handiwork. We are God's poema. We are God's handcrafted work of art created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. As long as we don't exchange our freedom for slavery. There are God-appointed works that are set before you. 
that God had in mind before you were ever born. There is purpose to your living. There are people who are going to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. There are schools that are going to experience health and wholeness. There are people of different races who are going to be reconciled. There are broken families that are going to become whole because you have stepped out of free, out of slavery and into freedom. And because you have experienced freedom, you can lead others to freedom. This is the purpose for which you and I were created. This is what God invites us to when we are born again. It is not simply that we have been saved and we sit and wait to be delivered. He says, come join me. What did he say to his disciples? Go into all the earth. Guys, get to stepping. There is work before you. That commission hasn't changed. You don't read the rest of the New Testament, get to like Revelation 13, 8, and God goes, just kidding, it's done. Are you picking up what I'm putting down here this morning? We've been taught sometimes that the mark of, of Christianity is this, I don't even have the word, this, this co-opted, this perverted sense of humility. That meek and mild means we just shut up and we sit down and we're quiet and we wait. That's not what I see in Jesus. And you read Philippians 2, that progression, he was the most humble man who ever lived. And yet the outflow of his life shaped the course of human history. We, and I, I say this understanding, some of you are not going to understand it and it's going to sound arrogant, but we are called to greatness. Not greatness from a human perspective. How could you not be called to greatness if the God of the universe has called you by name? If he says, you are my daughter, you are my son, how could you not be called to great things? But the great things that we are called for are things of eternal significance. It's affecting tomorrow and the tomorrows to come. But as long as we stay encumbered by any form of slavery, whether it's sin or legalism or fear, then we don't believe that we're called to greatness. And we settle. And that's what the Galatians did. Because it was easier for them to follow a list of rules and feel like they were going to be safe. If I do these ten, I'm good with God. But the walk of faith is meant to be dynamic and engaging and relational. We're meant to be a people who are postured before God, listening to the voice, the direction, and the leading of the Holy Spirit. We're supposed to be like Isaiah, where we hear him in Isaiah 6, listening to God talk about work yet to be done. And Isaiah hears them say, who will we send? And he says, I'm right here. Send me. What did Isaiah understand? That when the Spirit of God comes to rest upon him, it changes the trajectory of his life. And he is able to be not what he was, but from that moment on, a prophet to the nations. Listen, church. I just, I feel like you're not picking this up. I'm just going to yell louder for a minute. This is some of the stuff that I think, here's, here's what I'm feeling right now as I'm, I'm talking. You don't have to yell back at me. That's not what I mean. But there is, when we hear words of truth, what happened in the garden where humans flourished and experienced freedom? It was immediately challenged. God gave them dominion over the earth, said be fruitful and multiply. The snake comes along and goes, Really? I mean, come on, is that really what God meant? Is that really what he said? Whenever we hear words of life, 
Whenever we come to the place where we understand God is positioning us for his glory, as Pastor Claire said earlier, whenever we come to the place where we understand that God is releasing us into new things, it is immediately challenged. And we begin to think, I don't think we heard God right. That was the lie in the garden. Did he really say? Or we start to think it's true of the person to my left or the right, but not me because I'm insignificant or because I've failed or because I've not met the mark. What has the theme of Galatians been up to this point? The grace of God, the grace of God, the grace of God. And what did we say the grace of God was? It is him working in us to do what we are not able to do in our own strength. Our limitations are opportunities for the Spirit of God to work. Not a little bit, but miraculously. When God says, my power is made evident, he's not saying, hey, a little bit of me might show up. He says, I come into those areas of weakness to not simply cover but overwhelm and begin to bubble up out of. And so when I say this morning, I feel like the Spirit of God wants to go after insecurity, that's what I'm talking about. I'm talking about anybody who's listening to me this morning goes, that sounds kind of cool, but it's not for me. I'm talking about going after condemnation. Anybody would hear me say, I wish I could do that, but I've already failed. We're going to break this morning the power of those lies. Because God has not changed his mind about what he wants to do, redeem and restore, or who he wants to use to do it, which is you. You are God's plan A. You know that, right? That was mighty. Let me tell you this. Not only are you God's plan A, he doesn't have a plan B. You're it. And I don't say that to intimidate you, but to empower you. God looks over all of human history. He sees, he sees a thousand years ago and he sees a thousand years from now and today in the same moment. Looks out over human history, looks at this community, goes, there are people there I love who are far from me. There are things I want to do in that city. Who should I use? Oh, here they are. You're not here by accident in this community, in this town, or in this church, or on this Sunday. God is not a God of the haphazard. He's pretty stinking intentional. We still friends? Paul says this. He says, it's for freedom that you've been set free. Don't allow yourself to be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. Why does he say that? Because as we just covered, he knows your freedom will be contested. And there will be a posture that you have to take. There are are things that you may need to do in order to preserve that freedom. God has met you in his grace, and he has set you free. Somebody is going to try to rob you of that freedom, so John, you had better put your shoulders back and stand firm. He doesn't say, I got to come out swinging. He doesn't say, I got to go beat up the devil. He says, you need to stand firm in the truth that you know, that you have already been set free. So don't let somebody else come and try and steal it from you. Not today, Satan. When we try to measure up, try to be enough for Jesus, try to get it good enough so that he can use us, That's what the Bible calls legalism. Because we're trying to do in our own strength something that Jesus has already done. See, you've already been made righteous if you're born again. You've already been justified. 
Now, I'm not saying, and Paul wouldn't say, hey, willy-nilly, go nuts, anything goes, behave however you want. What he is saying is your behavior does not determine your standing with God. Quite the opposite. Your standing with God begins to determine your behavior. When you understand what he has done for you, the depth of the love he has for you, what he has already forgiven, what he has provided, what he is inviting you into, then rather not as a burden, but when you understand the grace, the mercy, and the love of God, you align with his teachings and begin to live out and offer to others what God has offered you. At the end of this conversation about all these rules, Paul goes, listen, guys, the only thing that really matters is faith expressing itself in love. So yes, action is very much a part of how we walk out our understanding and our relationship with God. But it comes from a place not of obligation, but love and appreciation. Jesus says this in Matthew 11, verse 28. He says, listen, when you're tired, you're weary, when you carry heavy burdens, come to me and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, for I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. That word easy means kind and gracious. The yoke that I put upon you. And it's a bit of a word play, uh, because in Jesus' day, they referred to to the, the Torah as the yoke of the Torah. And Jesus has already said to people, you're putting on burden, you know, burdens on them that they can't bear. Jesus says, I too have a yoke. And what a yoke does is a yoke moves you in directions you might not naturally go. It, it invites you to harness your strength with those around you and accomplish things you might not accomplish on your own. But Jesus says, my yoke is easy. It's kind. My burden is light. And when you're weary, isn't it interesting that he says, when you're weary and overburdened, come and I'm going to put a yoke on you. How does that make sense, Jesus? I, I'm, I'd like, come to me who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll take off your backpack. That's not what he says. My yoke, my way of living, my way of loving, my way of leading. Why is that easy, and why is that light? Because it aligns with the purpose for which we were created. And whenever church we don't live into the purpose for which we are created, we are wearing another yoke. And it is not easy. And it is not light. Whenever I work against, or even not into, the reason God saved me, the reason God set me free, I am taking somebody else's yoke upon myself. And he doesn't want that for me. Nor but does he want that for you? I'm going to invite the worship team. Wendy, would you come? If, if you would like to hear the, fur, the full Sunday morning message that I actually wrote, we'll post it. I preached it to the 9 o'clock service. But our time today is about doing business with God. In those four areas, insecurity, guilt, condemnation, and shame. That is not a Jesus yoke. Scripture says, there is now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus called according to his purpose. 
There's no condemnation. I have not found a single verse in Scripture where Jesus says, John, you should be ashamed. I have not found a single place in Scripture where John, Jesus says, John, it's pretty good that you're insecure because really, even with my help, you're not all that. I find new creation. I find his workmanship. I find more than a conqueror. Everything that I hear Jesus say about me in the Scriptures is an up-and-to-the-right trajectory of living into his purposes living is these plans. What keeps you from that? I know what keeps me from that. And it's usually insecurity. God, I don't know if I can take that risk. What if it doesn't work? What if people don't like it? What if I say, hey, we're sponsoring someone for a, for a religious worker's visa. And they go, why would we do that? That's a bad idea. One, I don't think you'd say that. Two, if you think that, don't say it to me. And three, I don't answer to you. I answer to Jesus. And you don't answer to me. You answer to Jesus. So what is Jesus inviting you into? What does freedom look like for you? And what is trying to keep you from it? Scripture says, at the name of Jesus, every head must bow, knee must bend, every tongue must confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Those are signs, postures of subservience. There is nothing that can exalt itself above the name of Jesus. So in this place this morning, we're going to begin to lift the name of Jesus. And I believe that as you lift your voice, as you declare this over your own life, those places of bondage that you have come up against are going to be broken. You may be a person like me who gets super loud. Yeah, I'm going to shout it. You may be someone. You just have to quietly say it because maybe it's, it took everything you got just to walk in the door this morning. I don't. You respond to Jesus in a way that is unique to your personality but respond to Jesus. Scripture says, he says to his disciples one day, and by extension us, I have given you a power, given you power to trample on snakes and scorpions, to overcome all the power of the enemy. Say all the power. I have given you authority to come overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will by any means harm you. That means as you speak the name of Jesus, you are exercising your authority over darkness. He gave it to you. I don't have to speak it over you. I agree with you. I believe with you. But you speak the name of Jesus over anything that would stand against his plan and his purpose for you. I want you to stand with me. Jesus, as we come before you in response to you, we're going to declare your name. We're going to declare the name before which every power, every ideology, every circumstance must bow the knee. We choose, God, to not be defined by the things around us, by the things that we have heard said about us, or even the things that we have said about ourselves. We choose to be defined by what you said, that we are a people set free, who carry an easy yoke, Bring freedom now, Lord. 
as we lift our voices. I just want to speak the name of Jesus over every heart and every mind. Because I know there is peace within your presence. I speak Jesus.
Jesus, I understand what you have done and the authority that you have given us as your children. So in your name, God, on your behalf, in the name of Jesus, I speak to anxiety and I say your power is broken. I speak to depression, I say your power is broken. I speak to guilt and condemnation, to shame, and I say your power is broken. We will not live under the shadow of lies, but under the name, under the anointing, under the empowering presence of our Lord and our Savior. God, we don't know fully what the future holds, but you do. We want to posture ourselves today as a people of freedom, able to respond in a moment to your direction, to bear your image wherever we find ourselves. Lord, I believe in this moment you're beginning to drop pictures into people's minds, faces of people who may be very far from you, but people that we need to reach out to as a loving presence. Lord, if we see those faces, if we hear those names, give us the courage to respond, to reach out, to not be afraid of rejection, but understand we are your empowered and free people able to move into those areas. God, I believe in this moment you are depositing fresh gifts and fresh abilities to your people. Lord, grace is you working in us in ways we can't on our own. There are abilities that are beginning to get deposited in people right now. Lord, where they go to do something that they, they haven't been able to do before, whether it's speak life, pray for healing, simply be an encourager to show love instead of anger, God, they're going to find that something has transpired within them and they are different. We're so grateful for your love for us, Lord. It's such an honor, such a privilege that you would choose to partner with us allow us to engage on your behalf. In Jesus' name. Church, if if you're somebody and you, you kind of find yourself going, okay, John, called to a greater purpose, person of destiny, God's got things for me to do, I don't know what they are, here's a prayer I would encourage you to pray. Jesus, what's the next right thing you would have me do? Don't try to figure out 10 years from now. Don't try to figure out five years from now. Don't try to start an international ministry. Unless that's the next right thing. Just do the next right thing. And after you've done that, just say, Jesus, what's the next right thing now? The Bible says he leads us like a shepherd. So just let him lead you to the next right thing. Do it. See his faithfulness. And then do the next right thing. I'm so glad I get to follow Jesus with you. Thank you for being a part of my family. God loves you so desperately. So do I. Let's keep loving him back. Have an amazing week. Be blessed. We'll see you soon.